This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Jan Teschau. Jan Teschau is the director of Carnegie Europe, the European think tank of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. We're going to be talking about Germany, uh, Jan, and, and Angela Merkel, and uh, the role of Germany in Europe. So let's start with this. Last year, 2015, Time magazine made uh, Angela Merkel Person of the Year. The Financial Times last year also nominated her as Person of the Year. Does Angela Merkel deserve all these accolades? Yeah, partly I think she does. Uh, she's quite an exceptional leader, I think. Um, she is not free from the sins of politicians, which means that she actually does flip-flop on things. She's not always that straightforward as people make her out to be. But overall, she's a, a pretty exceptional and impressive leader. Um, she came out of nowhere with no battalions in her own party and now dominates that party and the entire German political scene. Uh, nobody can really imagine her being replaced by anybody. There's no obvious kind of competition there. She was smart enough to kill them all off or to relegate them to third-tier kind of jobs. Um, so she's pretty dominant in the German scene. Uh, and she's taken on one or two tasks within the European context that were also quite exceptional. Uh, the Euro crisis, obviously, where not everybody liked her leadership, but where she was a leader. Um, and on, uh, on, on the, on the Russia-Ukraine conundrum, in both cases she embraced it reluctantly. She didn't want to do it at first, but then she realized that she was the only last, the last man standing, really, and that she needed to do it, and ge that Germany in those cases was the reserve power of Europe, also partly because of the absence of others. And then she embraced these, and then she adopted positions, and then she actually, you know, uh, stuck to them, you know, quite solidly. Not 100%, but quite solidly. And so you can say that against a lot of odds and a lot of, you know, big world developments, she's uh, done a pretty tremendous uh, performance overall. But Angela Merkel, as you know better than I do, has this reputation for being very cautious, very incremental, only pushed into action when she feels no, no other op option. She senses where the, where the wind is blowing, if you like, and then she acts. Is that a, a, an approach which is sustainable in the long term? I think that's really the smartest approach that you can have. I mean, you don't want to rush to conclusions. Um, you want to bring an analytical mind to issues. You don't want to have your responses to challenges guided by your stomach. Um, uh, and, and you want to uh, think through also about second and third, you know, uh, uh, order consequences of what you decide. And I think she does that. And, and, and this is what particularly the Germans like. She's a relatively uncharismatic leader. She's not a good speaker. Um, and and so and the Germans like that. The Germans have a knack for that. They've always been more suspicious of their charismatic chancellors like like Gerhard Schröder. And uh, I think she brings the right attitude overall. I, you know, um, I I quite like her style. The reverse side of that style is that she has a problem explaining stuff to the public in a way that the public kind of embraces instinctively. She's not a great communicator, and she has a problem explaining foreign policy, explaining greater strategic contexts, and explaining the Euro issue to wider audiences. That's the reverse side of her very cautious and very non-charismatic style, and that's a problem for a modern leader. And I think that's probably her biggest weakness. Um, and then, even though she is very cautious and, and, and very um, analytical and balanced, she can actually flip-flop, and she's done this on energy um, with the Energiewende, the famous one that has put a lot of pressure on other Europeans and on the German industries. Um, she's done this on refugees to a certain extent. She's done it on a couple of domestic issues as well. Um, so she's not all that, you know, she's not 100% predictable, 
um, uh, but you know, uh, still fairly predictable, and I think that makes her stand out from the rest of the crowd that's in office at the moment. So they're transferring her leadership role domestically to her leadership role in the European context. Is it now a fait accompli that, that the people around the, the European Council table, her leader, her, her peers, other European leaders, accept this kind of this sole leadership role that she provides, or any kind of resentment around the table about this role? I, well, I think it's only, I mean, it's only partially accepted. There's a lot of criticism on all of these issues. Uh, we've seen very recent criticism uh, around the end of the year um, on, her, on her very strong stand, you know, concerning sanctions on Russia, where a lot of countries are not happy, especially the Italians. On the Euro crisis, you know, I don't have to explain that, you know, a number of European countries were quite unhappy with her position, not only the Greeks, but also others, including the French. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it, power in Europe is about a number of things. It is, of course, about, you know, who's big and who's potent and who has reserves. Germany has that. But it's also about the ability to build alliances, and she's been actually quite good at that. And nobody has had the same ability elsewhere. There was never really a unified block against her that anybody was able to build. Um, and so that makes her stronger. Um, and then one needs to understand also, and I think it's very crucial, people often forget this when they talk superficially about the EU, that the EU is a system designed to avoid, um, you know, hegemonic leadership. It, it's actually a leadership avoidance system. It is a system that, you know, spreads responsibility and spreads leadership among 28 member states and the institutions in Brussels. And that makes it very fuzzy and often very incohesive. So even for the strongest country, the biggest country, the strongest leader, it is not quite possible just to dominate the whole apparatus. Well, when you say that, inter interrupting you again, you use the word hegemonic. I mean, there is this phrase going around about Germany and Angela Merkel, by extension, being the reluctant hegemonic, the idea being that Germany is now pushed you know, against its own better judgment or against its wishes into this leadership role it does not really instinctively wish to fulfil. Having said that, one is hearing around town here in Brussels more and more that it is not so much a reluctant hegemon. Non-Germans are saying, rightly or wrongly, that now Germany is running Europe, but in interests of, of Germany now, not in the interests of Europe. What do you say to that? Um, again, my first criticism of that would be that, you know, actually it's not running it alone, as that is not really possible. Right. And I think it's a caricature of, 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 of any kind of uh, political constellation that would be possible in the EU. No country, no matter how strong, can single-handedly lead this and, and lead it on all policy fields at all times at the same intensity. So in that sense, it's already a false criticism. Um, there is uh, some truth, and perhaps a lot of truth in this, in the sense that Germany used to be um, the integrationist, the pro-integrationist reserve power of Europe. Um, if in doubt, you could almost always count on the Germans to actually be in favor of the institutional approach approach in favor of more integration um, and in, in favor of strengthening the EU as an entity. And that was the default position of Germany for a long, long time. That integrationist reserve function that Germany had is gone. Um, Germany is not the country any longer that is willing to compromise just a bit earlier mm -hmm. and to pay just a bit more than the others yeah. just to make it happen. That was a raison d'etat for the Germans for a long time, if in doubt pro-Europe. Now the Germans are a lot more you know, transactional also with Europe a lot more kind of cost-benefit analytical about it. What used to be a love project, and a project that was quintessential for the Germans because it was, it replaced, I mean, for the Germans after the Second World War, the entire concept of the nation as the framework for their ambition wasn't available. They couldn't use the nation 
as the vessel you know, that they could fill with their strength and power and ingenuity. So they used Europe for that. But that function has diminished. And so Germany is looking more after itself. Germany is more self-interested. Um, Germany is picking the uh, intergovernmental process, you know, the governments negotiate solutions instead of the institutional process, more. That used to be different. And in that sense, the criticism is right. That is a process that already started under Gerhard Schröder and which has not changed under Angela Merkel. Okay. You said that she has this unassailable position both in Germany and, and in Europe, in effect, by being the only, the only leader, the only one left standing, as you said, to use your phrase. But there are elections coming up, I understand, quite soon, end of this year in, in Germany. Is that correct? Or? We have three state elections in Germany, um, scattered uh, throughout the year, some of them actually fairly important. Um, and, uh, and, and it looks like, um, contrary to what a lot of people thought, um, Angela Merkel's party will probably actually, you know, uh, fare quite well in these elections, perhaps with the exception of Baden-Württemberg, where they have chosen a candidate that's not really electable. Um, but in Rheinland-Pfalz, uh, they will probably break through the old dominance of the Social Democrats, um, not necessarily only because of their own strength, but also because, you know, um, the AFD, another party, is moving into the system uh, and changes the entire kind of majority dynamics in Germany, which could be actually beneficial for the, the Christian Democrats, Merkel's party, because she can probably, uh, this party can probably form grand coalitions with the Social Democrats in a number of states, and uh, out of weakness, perhaps signals of strength will come out of these elections. That's the calculation at the moment, but that can also change. The domestic situation in Germany at the moment is quite volatile because of the refugee issue, and it's become a very, very hypercharged, emotional, um, identity-based issue, like in many other countries, um, and the Germans are, you know, um, very nervous about this and uh, how this is actually going to play out uh, against her or in favor of her and her party is not quite predictable as of now. Okay, one last question for you then to finish up and to round up the discussion about Angela Merkel in particular. I think it's a received wisdom that come the next national elections in Germany, she will not stand for a fourth term. Do, do, do you agree with that? And, and therefore, what will Europe be like without Angela Merkel, never mind Germany? Uh, this is advanced political gossip. This is what we love, right? <laughs> um, very hard to say. Um, Originally, everybody thought that she wouldn't run. Um, then, by mid-last year, 2015, uh, you know, there were more and more voices saying that she's already made up her mind that she would stand again, um, partly because she believes, like so many politicians who have been in power for long, that there's nobody really who can handle all of those tricky you know, files, the Russian <laughs> file and the Euro file, that she's the only one who can keep it all together. There's perhaps a little bit of truth in that. Um, but uh, my guess now, you know, in January of 16, would be that she will prob that we have probably a 60% chance of her running again. Okay. All right. Well, Jan Tashar, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.